Uh, for those that are in here, let's go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40. And, and I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to turn. I, I had a couple technical difficulties this morning, um, and I was not able uh, to get the slides to work the way I wanted them to. Um, so we won't have them on the screen today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Uh, we will be there in just a few moments. Before we get there, we are continuing to go through the book of Acts together. We are, are looking at and going through the book of Acts. We've gotten all the way up to chapter 8, and even though we've been here for a while, uh, we were only in chapter 8. But remembering what's happening, uh, we, we've looked today, remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the, the Holy Spirit comes, the gospel begins to spread in Jerusalem. We begin to see how it spread beyond Jerusalem into the surrounding areas as Stephen, uh, we looked at a few weeks ago, was martyred for his faith. He was killed for proclaiming the gospel, and many of the believers scattered from Jerusalem at that time, one of them being Philip, one of the other seven, one of the deacons that was, was set apart for some ministry. Uh, we looked last week at Philip going and, and dealing with, a, with some Samaritans and encountering someone named Simon, who was kind of a sorcerer of sorts. And, and so from that situation is where we pick up. After Simon after Philip and, and is going and he's dealing with uh, the, the Samaritans there, and he encounters Simon, the magician, and Peter and John come. After that happens, we pick up again with Philip, and we're going to see what happens next with him. And so we're in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was, like, was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer he is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he, passed through, as, he, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this, this day that you've given us, that we can come together, that we can look at your word, that we can see what you've said to us, and we can see how we ought to be obedient to you. We can see what it means to be people who are faithful to you. I pray as we look at the example of this situation between 
uh, Philip and this Ethiopian official, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to see what we can learn from it and how we should respond to you and what you're calling us to do. I pray that you'll be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I titled this sermon, The First International Missionary, because I, I do believe, we'll get to that, I do believe that is a, essentially what the Ethiopian eunuch became as he went home to Ethiopia. And one thing to remember and, and to note uh, as we begin is that Ethiopia probably referred to a larger um, kingdom than what we would know as Ethiopia on a map today. It was probably a larger portion of Africa that uh, compiled what Ethiopia was. So this was not just a, a, a small official. This would have been a person within a large kingdom at the time. But as we look at this passage, we see some things that are distinct. We see that Philip was obedient to God. We see obedience to the call of God. So as we're looking at this, he is called to follow God. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And in verse 27 it says, And he rose and went. And he rose and went. It is important that when we hear the calling of God, we respond to the calling of God. Now, the first part of that is the calling. The calling is the important part. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, now, I don't know about you, but I have not personally encountered an angel of the Lord coming and telling me something directly. We see this happen often in Scripture, and it feels difficult at times, and we wonder at times, well, if God would just do that, then I would know what to do. If He would just send an angel to talk to me, to speak directly to me. But we have something that is it is infinitely beneficial to us in our ability to follow God, and that is the Holy Spirit that lives within each believer. Now, it may not be an audible voice, but there are times within Scripture that the prompting of the Spirit is not necessarily described as audible. We have to be able, as believers, to recognize the voice of God in our life. Now, we have several ways of doing this. One of the reasons I think often that we don't have an angel appearing to us maybe is that we have His Word. We have the Word of God telling us exactly what He wants us to do. We have the Word of God giving us a very clear outline of who God is, who we are, what God is doing in this world, and what our role is. If you read Scripture, if you seek to understand it, you will understand who God is, who you are in relation to God, and how to be saved once you are what God wants you to do. There is no ambiguity in that. The only ambiguity that comes is on a daily basis. When you encounter people as you go, when you have a specific calling like this to go and speak to a certain person, and that's where we pay attention through prayer, the prompting of the Holy Spirit as He works within our lives to be obedient to Him. You know, you, you've often heard the term of being called to do something, or you maybe use that yourself. I feel called to serve in this way. I, I feel called to the profession possibly that you're in. I, I have said before, I feel called to ministry. I don't think many people, when they say that, say that they experienced a vocal calling, although maybe some would say that they have. The calling they're describing is the calling of being uh, able to respond to the various things God is doing through what people around you tell you and pour into your life, through what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, through what Scripture prompts you to do, as well as what opportunities become available and presented to you. So if we want to be obedient to God, we have to first be able to understand and recognize what He's calling us to do. So we have to hear His voice, recognize His voice. How do you do that? You spend time with Him. If Jada calls me on the phone, she doesn't have to tell me who she is. I know who she is. I know her voice. 
There are likely many people in your life that when they call and you answer, or if they yell out to you, we were in Sunday school this morning, and I think Jennifer may have got scared by one of my kids. I said, that was one of my children. And Jada said, yeah, that was Barrett. It was very faint and it was far away, but we knew his voice. To know the voice of God, you have to spend time with God, be close to God. That way you can discern what is of God and what is not. But Philip knew this was from God, and so he gets the call. And he rose and went. He was not explicitly told what he was to do there. Uh, Pay attention to that. Go to this road. That's all he said. And Philip didn't have to ask any questions. He knew that that was what God was calling him to do, and he did. He rose and went. He didn't say why. He didn't say why me. He didn't say, won't you send someone else? I'm busy at the moment. He rose and went. But he was not only obedient at the beginning. We see that when he gets to the place, he sees the Ethiopian eunuch passing on his chariot, and he's prompted again, it says, by the Spirit. The Spirit said to him, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him. We see again a further calling of obedience in this process, and he continues to be obedient. He didn't just obey God once. He was consistent in his obedience. Obedience to God is required every step of the way. Imagine that you're traveling somewhere you've never been before. Nowadays, you would probably just pull up the maps on your phone, or maybe you have a GPS still. But before that, what did you do? It was a map, most likely. But before that, after that, but before GPS, there was this, uh, this, this time, and it was kind of what I grew up in when I was younger, called MapQuest. Anybody remember MapQuest, where you would go onto the internet and tell where you're starting from and where you're going, and it would print out turn-by-turn directions. Now, here's the problem with turn-by-turn directions. If you refuse to obey one of them, or you miss one, everything else goes off the rails. If you're driving on the interstate, and it says exit now and go east, and you're going south, you're going to end up very far away from where you wanted, because that next exit's not going to come. That next direction is not going to come. The issue was that you didn't obey each step of the way. And Philip is an example of how we ought to obey each step of the way. What good would it have done him in his service to God if he went to the road but refused to join the chariot? He would not have encountered the Ethiopian official and would have failed to be obedient to the encounter that God had for him. So as we go and as we live our lives, we must remember that halfway obedience is not obedience at all. If, someone were, if you were to tell your child to clean their room and they pick up one piece, and they say that they cleaned their room, they started, but they didn't finish. And so they were not obedient. And so when God calls us to something, we must realize that there is a continued pattern of obedience of what we're supposed to do. Imagine this prompting that you may have to share your faith with someone as you go to talk to them. And, you, and so you feel prompted, I need to talk to this person. I need to share my faith with them. And so you go and you talk to them. And in that conversation, if you've done that, you've taken that step, there's going to come another point where you're prompted to begin to share the gospel, to transition into that part of the conversation. If you fail to do that, you didn't follow through with what you initially set out to do. So halfway obedience is not really obedience. And in trying to do this, there is friction along the way. Philip had to get up. He maybe was resting. Had to get up and go into the desert. And he had to run to catch the chariot. 
It would have been easy to have not done those things, to make excuses. And there are multiple points of failure before we are completely obedient. Consider uh, an example of something that's often hard for people to do, that many people would seek to do, that there's a lot of friction for. Going to the gym. You've got to get, off, get out of the, off the couch and get ready. You've got to get into your car. You've got to drive to the gym. And when you get to the gym, this can be a hard part. You have to get out of your car and go in. But walking into the gym is not enough. Then you have to actually do the workout, to do what you set out to do. There's friction every step of the way. Well, I don't want to get up. Well, I don't want to go there. I don't want to spend the time. Well, maybe I'll go somewhere else instead. I've got errands to do. There is friction all the way and many excuses that can be made. And we, can, we will face that in our life as we seek to obey God. And in some ways, I think we can see how obedience works by way of anti-example. And probably the best parallel I see in Scripture is Jonah to the situation. It's almost very, almost exact wording of what we see in Acts. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we see that while Philip rose and went and was faithful to what he was called to do, and subsequently when he was called to approach the chariot, he ran to the chariot. Jonah, on the other hand, is disobedient. He is not just not doing what he's called to, he's doing the opposite. When called to go to Nineveh, he rose to flee. He didn't rise to do what God called. He rose to flee from the Lord. Rather than rising, he flees from him, to flee from the presence of the Lord specifically. And we know, and Jonah likely did as well, that we cannot escape the presence of the Lord. Psalm 139, 7 and 8 say, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. However, have you ever heard of the term of the heard of disobedience being referred to as being far from God. If you've ever shared your testimony or heard a testimony, you've likely heard that of, of maybe a person who was a believer, a Christian, and they had a period where they were far from God. It's a term that we use and is common for Christians to use. Were they ever far from Him? Was God ever far away from them? No. But like Jonah, they sought to flee from the presence of the Lord. This is the same way that a person that owes someone money they don't want to pay back will flee from that task by not answering phone calls. The reality is still there, but to them, if they refuse to acknowledge it, it goes away. That's what Jonah's trying to do, to run away and hope that God will forget about him and that he can just go live his life and do something else. But I think sometimes the, the, the magnitude of what Jonah did as he fleed is lost on us. I want to look a little bit deeper at what he did when he was fleeing. So God called him to go to Tarshish, and this would have been about a 550-mile journey. It's in, in modern-day Iraq, from Israel to modern-day Iraq. But instead of doing that, Jonah decided to go to Tarshish, which was about 200 or 2,500 miles the other direction. So he's calling him to go from Israel to modern-day Iraq, but instead he heads a boat to head to modern-day Spain. And there's a picture that I found that really puts this in perspective as we look at it, if, if it was on America, 
He would have been somewhere in one of the Carolinas, supposed to go to somewhere in New England. But instead, he goes to San Francisco. And you can see there, the water all in the middle, it's a weird picture. That is what the overlay of the Mediterranean Sea uh, would be on the U.S. So he's getting on a boat to flee about as far away as he can imagine from where he's supposed to be going. The reason Jonah didn't obey was because of his hatred for the people of Nineveh. You all know the story. After this, a great storm comes on the boat. Jonah says he's the problem. Throw him overboard, swallowed by a large fish. After some reflection, he prays to God, and the the fish spits him back up on dry land, and God tells him again, go to Nineveh. And this time he goes, and he proclaims the Word of God. And there are some, some things there that seem to indicate he didn't do that wholeheartedly. He did that in a very, uh, I'll do what you're asking, but I'm not going to like it kind of way. And the people repent. And he goes and he sits and he's mad about it. He's pouting about it. And God says, are you, are you right to be mad about this? And he gives him a tree because the sun was harsh, and then the tree fades. And then he's more mad because the tree went away. And God lets, it, lets him in on the heart of God that he loves his people. He loves people, and that the people of Nineveh should have the opportunity to repent, and that's why he sent Jonah. Jonah's reason for not obeying God was that he allowed his feelings and what he thought to matter more than what God was calling him to do. So what, is it, what does all of this mean for us as far as obedience goes? We must be obedient to God. To be obedient to God, we must hear God. And to hear Him, we must hear His voice. We must learn to recognize His voice. But to be obedient, we also must do what He says and continue to do it. And neglecting to obey does not mean that our responsibility goes away. And oftentimes when we disobey God, we are like Jonah. It's not that we just ignore God, we seem to flee from Him. I've heard many stories of people that finally end up serving God, that that were called to something, but it doesn't just mean they ignore it. They end up usually going the other direction. There are people that feel God working in their life, and they don't like what He's doing, and they end up, instead of being obedient, they leave the church. They don't want to be in God's presence. It's hard to be disobedient and remain where you are. Usually you're going to go the other way as Jonah did. And when we do that, when we disobey, we are putting what we want over what God is calling us to do. Obedience can be difficult, but if we want to experience the movement of God, we must be obedient in our lives. And if we are obedient to God's leading, like Philip was, we can then experience what God is doing through us if we're obedient. Philip has what many people would describe as a divine appointment with the Ethiopian official. And so, a little background on this guy. He's very powerful, in charge of all of Queen Candace's treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, if you pay attention to the structure of Acts, if you've been following along, something that we're seeing is that God is continuing to expand the proclamation of the gospel outside of the people of Israel. We see first the Samaritans last week. They believe and receive the Holy Spirit. And now he's dealing with this person that doesn't even live in Israel, the Ethiopian official who had come there to worship, who is going to encounter Christ. Now the question this raises, who is this man? Why is he there? Because later, we're going to get to in a future sermon, we see the first, what is regarded as the first Gentile believers. It'll be Cornelius and his family. Well, if Cornelius is the first Gentile believer, who is this man? 
Well, there are a few, a few pl- things that, that can be uh, thought of with this. Perhaps he was a displaced Jew. Think of Daniel. We've been going through Daniel in Sunday school. Daniel was displaced into the kingdom of Babylon and was displaced from his, his situation in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. So perhaps this is a person that was a displaced Jew that was serving as an official within Candace's kingdom but was allowed to return home to his home to worship the God he served. Or perhaps he was a Jewish convert as much as he was able to. It says that he was a eunuch, and the law prevented a eunuch from being a full convert to Judaism. So it would not have had the same problems that they would encounter with the Gentile believers. Or he was a Gentile, but because he was going on his way, the the issue of whether they had to convert to Judaism was not present. I believe it's one of the first two, either a displaced Jew or a convert to Judaism. So, in this encounter, we see the obedience obedience of Philip coming to meet this Ethiopian official, and we see there the power of the Word of God. Because as he comes up to the, the chariot, what does Philip hear him doing? He hears him reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And, and because through that, the Word of God is revealed. God is revealed through His Word. We see God, we see ourselves, and we see how God calls us to respond. And we see how all Scripture ultimately points toward Jesus. Because when Philip gets into that chariot, he, he asks him what he, or he asks him what he's reading, here's what he's reading, and they have this conversation. Philip says, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And the, and the eunuch says, "Well, how can I unless someone explains it to me?" And asks him a few questions. Philip takes this opportunity to explain how that passage is pointing to the Messiah who is Christ, and shares the good news of all that Jesus has done. The good news of all that Jesus has done. When we think about that, what is he saying? That he's told him the gospel. Because that is what the gospel is. Gospel means good news. So he tells him about what Jesus has done. And as they're going down the, down the road, we know what the content of that is. We know that he told them about sin and about salvation available in Jesus to those who would believe and about following in obedience and baptism. We know that how? Because as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So the, Philip was faithful in presenting the gospel using the Word of God to present it as a tool of evangelism, which Scripture is one of the most valuable tools we have in evangelism. If people value Scripture as this man did, we can use it to point to the truth of who Jesus is and what God calls us to do. And notice it says, beginning with this Scripture. When we share the gospel with people, we should start where they are. That's one of the things that we have to learn to do. We can have gospel presentation tools, but if we can't connect where someone is to the beginning of that, we're going to have a problem. He started in the Scripture the, the Ethiopian was concerned with, and from there told him the good news. The difficulty we face is that oftentimes we will have to evangelize the people who don't value Scripture. That doesn't mean that Scripture doesn't matter, but it means that we're going to have to have other ways to find common ground. We'll see more about how this happens in the book of Acts. But we see this man come, and we see him act. 
And so how, how do we respond to this? How should we respond to what happens with the Ethiopian eunuch? We should love God and value Scripture because it's the living Word of God. We should understand that Scripture is one of the best tools we have to evangelize. We should use it as we evangelize. It's the living Word of God. We should understand that not all people have respect for Scripture, but that we should seek to find common ground. Paul does this in Acts 17, and we'll get there. But I want to talk about it for a moment. He, he talks about this statue to an unknown God that these people have in this place where there's all these statues. He says, I want to talk to you about the God you don't know. And then begins to tell them the good news of Jesus. And so we have to find ways to find common ground when people don't respect Scripture. And from this, we get to see how there is good things that are reaped from what is sown. The Ethiopian responded to the message of the gospel. We know this because he says, See, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized. So this process, very simple. He hears the good news. Philip was faithful, he was obedient, and he tells him the good news. He hears it, and he responds through faith. He believes what Philip has told him. And after he believes, he acts. That is what baptism is. Baptism is the action that we take as the evidence of the salvation that we've believed in, that we've gained through faith in Christ. Baptism does not save us. Baptism is not something that, um, is, that cleans us other than being dipped in the water. The blood of Christ is what saves us and cleans us from our sin, but we are obedient in acting and following God faithfully. And the first step of that, one of the first steps of that, is responding to be baptized, acting in being baptized. And, and, and a quick note, the, the word for baptism is baptizo, and it means to be immersed. And that's why we practice baptism by immersion in this church, because that is what scripturally it seems to be. We hear, we believe, and then we're baptized. And it says that Philip is, at this point, carried away. Now, there are possibly two ways you could try to understand. This is not explicitly clear. Was it a supernatural teleportation of Philip to this new place? Because uh, it says he was carried away by the Spirit, and the eunuch saw him no more. Or was he simply called away, and that was explaining that Philip went away, and the Ethiopian went on his way, and never saw Philip again? That doesn't matter as much. It could have been either way. God could do both. But what we do see is that even though Philip was obedient and served his purpose here, he continued to be obedient as he went elsewhere. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He continued to be obedient to God after this. It was not a one-time thing. It was not a one-time, I'm done. I've done my part. I'm served. I'm out. He continued to be obedient as he went. And the eunuch returned to his country, a saved man, a new creation. And the Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. Tradition tells us and says to us that the eunuch went home and shared his faith with those around him, founding a church in Ethiopia. And so this is why I refer to him as the first international missionary, because he goes to his home far away and shares the good news that he's believed in. And we see here that the continued expansion of the gospel to the unlikely, to the Samaritans, to a foreign eunuch, to the natural, and we also see the natural end of the gospel. It's spread into all the earth. God has called them to do it, and he is accomplishing it with their cooperation. Isn't it magnificent that God's plan that he wants to achieve, that he has set out to do, he will accomplish through believers that obey him? It's not because we have special abilities. It's not because we're so convincing but it's because we obey and respond and God works through 
people that are obedient. We see it spreading into the all, the, all the earth. We see the beginning of them making disciples of all nations. That was the plan then, and it's still the plan and the call now. So what does all of this mean? It means that the gospel demands a response. It means that the gospel is for all people. It's difficult at times. We have to recognize this. Sometimes we can tend to be like Jonah. And for whatever reason, we might have a, a, a preconceived idea in our head or a distaste for a person or people. And we have to be honest with ourselves and with God and have His heart for people, not ours. Because there is no unlikely that is too far. The gospel is meant to be spread, and we should share it with people who are near and far. So how is God calling you to obey today? Is there something that God has been calling you to do, something that He's been calling you to rise and do? Here's the thing. You're not going to have heard. I'm not saying you need to have had an angel of the Lord appear to you and say, rise and do this. But you know what God calls you to do. And if you don't know, it may be because you, fl- you fled from him and you have been seeking to hide from his presence and hide from what he's calling you to do. Every believer he calls to be faithful to him, to be obedient to him, to engage in his church, to grow in their faith. If you're not doing those things, maybe that's why you don't know the next thing. If you're not near him, you're not going to hear him calling you. Is there something that God is calling you to rise and do? And the, the next question is, are you going toward or fleeing from this call? Are you being obedient in your life to what you know that God wants you to do? Are you following him faithfully? When he says rise, do you rise and go or do you rise and flee? You will know in your heart, and only you can know that, and only you can know there will be evidence to that. I'm sure all of Jonah's friends were a little concerned why he was fleeing to Tarshish all of a sudden. There are recognizable things when you're fleeing from God, but you will know what is going on. But not only are you being obedient to him, are you following through? Are you continuing to be obedient as you go through it? Are you taking, taking steps to be obedient each step of the way, listening to him as he calls you? Are you being obedient to the spread of the gospel? Because if you don't know what God wants you to do with your life, if you feel like, I wish he would just send an angel, I don't know, he wants you to be in relationship with him, and he wants you to share that with others. That's a very simple way of understanding what his will is, to love God with all you are and to love people as yourself. And how do you love people? You introduce them to the one who loves them more than any other could, the God who who gave his only son so they could be right with him. So are you being obedient to that? Taking whatever step it is by inviting someone to church, inviting them to talk to someone, sharing your own faith. Are you doing those things? And do you, or do you have any preconceived ideas that would prevent you from being obedient? As we come to this time of invitation, the challenge is that you would be obedient in your life, that I would be obedient in my life, that each of us together as a church would be obedient to what God calls us to do. That from this place, from this moment, we would rise and go because we know that God has called us to be faithful. And we know, at least in part, what He's calling us to do. We don't know what the next thing holds. Philip didn't know what he was going to encounter on that road. But we trust, just as Philip trusts, 
that we take that first step and He will be with us each step of the way. That's what Christ promised. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we go, as we obey, surely Jesus is with us. The last thing I'd say is that you may not be in the same position as Philip. You may be in the position of the Ethiopian. You have to make sure that you have responded to the gospel, that you have trusted and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you have made a decision to follow Him. You understand that you have sinned, and because of that, you're far from God. And because you're far from God, you know that you need to respond to the work that He has done in Jesus. Because of Jesus, God has made a way that those who are far from Him, dead in their sin, may have new life in Christ. How do we access that? It is by faith and faith alone, believing in what Jesus has done for us. But then from there, we respond. And that could be you today. Maybe you have that saving faith. Maybe you've put your faith in Jesus, but there's steps. Maybe you haven't followed in obedience and baptism. Maybe you haven't joined a church to be a part of, to be uh, in relationship and continue in your journey. Wherever you are, whatever God is calling you to do today, whether it's to repent and believe for the first time, whether it's to follow through with the the first aspects of your faith or to continue in faithfulness. Let us decide together that when God is called, we will rise and go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us, this time we can come together, we can look at your word, and we can just examine our hearts and examine ourselves. And God, I pray that as we look at this beautiful example of faithfulness and obedience, as we look at the results of this obedience, of the salvation of the Ethiopian who goes on his way, I pray that you would challenge us and convict us to be obedient to where you call us in our life. I pray that we wouldn't be like Jonah and flee from you, flee from your presence, but that we would run to you, seek to know you more, seek to be in closer relationship with you so that we can be in right relationship, so that we can do the things you call us to. And God, I pray that as we go, you will be with us as we know you promised to be that you will do the work, and that we can just be a part of what you're doing. God, I pray that if there's anyone who needs to respond to you today, that they would not let anything hinder them. If they need to come and pray, if they need to come and and talk about salvation, that nothing would hold them back, but they would be faithful in rising and going to you. God, I pray that you would help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.